Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening. This is Defending in Numbers, the football podcast where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty, pretending to know a little bit more about the beautiful game than we actually do. My name is Rob Armstrong, the token football idiot, the football idiot of Defending in Numbers. I sit here every week and get corrected on my ignorance by football geniuses like Ali Maxwell. Ali, how are you? Yes, I'm very well. Thanks, Rob. Very generous introduction there. The the football league genius, should I say? Or you're just an all-round football genius? I'll take that. I'll take that. If you could choose to be one kind of football genius, what would it be? Probably wouldn't be the football league genius, (laughs) although it's a a nice niche and one that I enjoy. Um, I'd probably just be a a skills genius. I'd love to be making those YouTube videos where I'm just doing panenkas and getting millions of pounds from, uh, from brands. And of course, we're joined by goalkeeping hat and facial hair genius, David Priest. Good How you morning, doing, David. I'm very well, thank you very much. Excellent, excellent. Right, this of course is Defending in Numbers and you are listening on Deezer where you can also find lots more great podcasts, live Premier League commentary and football playlists. Download the app, that's Deezer, in your relative app store or go to www.deezer.com. Let's get on with the first feature, Week by Numbers. The week by numbers. Okay. The first number this week is number one, which is, of course, the first number in just everything, generally, numerically, is the first number. And that is also the amount of FA Cup third round ties Arsene Wenger has lost. Nottingham Forest, of course, beating them 4-2 in what was, I think, fair to say, a pretty shambolic performance from Arsenal, but at the same time, a very good performance from Nottingham Forest. Uh, that Forest team, only 14th in the championship, but looks like it has a lot of young talent in it. Yeah, and like a lot of young talent, that's part of the problem with their league position, a lack of consistency, perhaps a a lack of game management, and in the championship where you play so many games, you know, a a difficulty in maintaining form, um, which is completely natural, I think, for, for young players and and often going to be the case, and and you know that's it, it's it's I think surprising having seen the support the performance on the weekend that you know they recently sacked their manager because uh, Mark Warburton because they weren't happy with the way that they were doing, and then they turn in a performance for the ages. But I mean the most surprising thing for me with this number is that it's the first time that Arsene Wenger's lost in the third round. I'm surprised it's taken this long to be honest, because you know performances like that it's not the first time we've seen something like that from Arsenal so I'm surprised it's the first loss in the third round yeah it's funny but we should talk about we'll talk about Arsenal in a minute but let's let's first talk about Forest give it credits where it's due because they were comfortably the better team you know I watched the whole game and at no point did I think Forest are going to throw this away the the minute they were ahead I thought they had it covered and it was a bit of a frantic game you know maybe could have done with having uh VAR, which we'll talk about later as well in that one rather than the day after. But yeah, what, what do you see in that Forest side in terms of potential? Well, like, like Ali's just said about about youngsters play, playing a lot of youngsters in size, you, sometimes you don't know what you, you're going to get and what you expect from them. Um, are they going to be nervous or are they going to go into no fee? And you can see from the way Forest approach it, like they, they had no fee whatsoever. And it's not like... Look at the Arsenal side. This isn't a greatly weak. I mean, it's it's a weak inside from what they usually put at a, at a, in the Premier League. But 
it's, it's not hugely inexperienced. There's probably three players out, out of that side who you would think, well, you know, they wouldn't ordinarily get into a to a Premier League starting uh, starting eleven. So it, it's it's massive credit to to, to Forrest and and it's great to see that because that's what clubs like Forrest. Uh, you know they they haven't got uh, the, the riches that some of the clubs have got in that division. They're certainly not a poor club, but they've. Uh, it's great to see them investing in youth because really clubs in that, especially in that division, uh, who are middling or at the bottom end of that division, they've got to produce their own players, uh, and clubs have, have have went away for that for far too long. And even sometimes it's just paying lip service to to, to youth systems and academies. By uh, by investing lots of money in them, but not truly uh, believing in them, where Forest are clearly different from a lot of clubs, and, and it showed exactly how high their ceiling is. You know, we we said that they can be in- inconsistent and that sometimes the game management is off, but when it's on, that's when you learn how high a player's ceiling is. And those guys, Cash, Brereton, and Worrell, you know, they, they've they've just done it against supposedly one of the best sides in England. So clearly, uh, massive futures for 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 those players, and and hopefully with that club. With the Arsenal thing, obviously, for the last few years, winning the FA Cup hasn't been enough. What do you think of the sort of outrage and disgust that they've gone out of the third round? Because, you know, you listen to a lot of Arsenal fans and they say, oh, Wenger out, FA Cup, don't care. Now, all of a sudden, some of them are more vocal. Well, I know some people say this of kind of um, Arsenal fans were upset that they they didn't have a, a stronger bench, sort of a... Uh, sort of like a few players in glass cages just to smash in case of emergency. But <laughs> the, the, like, like I said, they, they didn't really have a, a hugely inexperienced side. Look at all the players on that, on that side that, and the Premier League appearances that they've all made. It's uh, And another good thing about this, from, the, from what we've seen in the Premier League so far, when there's been... Uh, a huge disparity between teams, especially when when people play Manchester City, the way they've set up defensively against those sides, it's been actually really refreshing that the likes of Forest and Bristol City haven't done that. And and uh, for okay, Bristol City didn't come up with a result last night, but they come up with a huge deal of credit. And, and they, maybe they haven't gone toe to toe, but they've certainly had much more of a goal than a lot of the Premier League sides this season. I think one of the the big things for me uh, when it comes to the outrage from Arsenal fans, I'm surprised that they can muster up the energy for it because, uh, you know, it's it's been going on for a, quite a few years now. Uh, there was, in the early days of the Wenger out regime, I definitely thought that, you know, people were being a bit harsh and maybe not recognising the, the amazing uh, impact that, that Wenger's had on that club. But I, I think when you get to this stage, I don't think there's anyone that can really strongly say that that he absolutely deserves to stay and and you know it stems from just tiredness of of Arsenal being embarrassed and that's what we've seen um over the last few years countless times in the league in in certain cup competitions sort of in the Champions League as well at times where they've suffered heavy defeats in the knockout stages it's a sort of fatigue of this why is it always us seemingly because that's how you feel as a fan right it's always your team that loses in the last minute or your team that folds when they go behind and and that's how Arsenal fans feel probably more heightened than any other club in England I suppose imagine what a lovely retirement Arsene Wenger could have he'd have a house in England house in France maybe one in Japan maybe one yeah exactly was it (laughs) Gamba Osaka was he at Uh, can't remember yeah I think so well, I might have got Grand Paseet. Paul just some random <laughs> Japanese club out of nowhere. 
Uh, let's move on to the next number, zero. Not just my knowledge of Japanese clubs, but also the number of VAR decisions there were in the Brighton Crystal Palace game the other night. Like we were saying, maybe they should have had it for the Forest game. But I was at the Brighton game and the Palace fans were incensed that VAR wasn't used for the uh, Glenn Murray uh, goal at the end, the, the winner for Brighton. Was it handball? Well, I'm a bit confused about this because I, th- I think it, it was used to check the goal because it, it, it always is. Mm. But I think the first thing they check is the offside. And I think that because that was the first game, there was so much uh, so much of a spotlight on it. You could tell that the, the broadcasters had been told to, to reference it at all times as well because they're, they're clearly trying to make it a part of the game and they're trying to push that through as quickly as possible so that we can stop talking about it all the time. Um, with the Murray goal, it's hard to say because there was definitely sort of rumours that they didn't check it for handball and that they were only checking it for offside. Now, I, I kind of get the feeling that if it had clearly hit his hand, someone surely would have seen that. Like, it seems unlikely. Um, but certainly the, 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 the inference was that they didn't use it for that, which, which seems bizarre. But it wasn't handball anyway, so doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's going to have as much of a dif- make much of a difference as uh, goal line technology has. I mean, obviously that's a lot clearer. It's black and white if it's either over the line or it isn't. But with these cases, just there's going to be... Uh, for someone like me who who enjoys the the the, the errors that referees make, uh, even as a player, you, you, you take things on the chin. You get away with a few, uh, you, you know, you get done by a few. So it it's it it's, it all adds to the drama of the game. But I still don't think that's going to be taken away uh, from us because it, there's still going to be a lot of debate about um, decisions that are made that. that the referees and um, sort of uh, the video, video assistant referees are going to have some sort of. They're not always going to agree because it's a lot of it's the decisions that are going to be made. It's open to it's still open to interpretation. Yeah, people are swinging back and forth, and I know there's a lot of people that have been constantly in support of it, and now that it's come through, and still people don't really know. How it works? My understanding of it was there's a screen at the side of the pitch that he runs over to and looks at the decision again. But then it's actually there's some referees somewhere in, where is it, something Park or Stockbridge Park? Near Heathrow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. wherever it is. There's some referees in the room looking at the the decision and making the decision for them. So there's no clarity on it. And also, you look at Serie A, I think there's been a few dodgy decisions there and maybe... I mean, I've just seen in some tweets when, I, when I've been reading about it that there's the, the Australian A-League they yeah. keep messing up over there. Like with everything, uh, when it goes wrong, you're going to hear about it louder than, than when it goes right. I think that, you know, it, it's it's not going to lead to more errors being made by referees. It's only going to take away some of them. So like David says, and I think this is... This is a big point because you said people are flip-flopping back and forth, and they are. You basically have to decide now whether you like the flow of the game, whether you like the passion of the game, which is what so many of us um, are attracted to when it comes to football. Other people are are attracted to um, fairness, competition, uh, tactics, analytics, whatever. But if if your desire is for bad decisions against your team um, to be starting to be quashed, then you've got to be in favour of it, really, and, and you can't really... You can't really sit on the fence there, I think. You either want the passion and the flow of the game and the mistakes and the excitement, or you want it to be perfect, you know, sterile and um, and correct. 
just like everything else, though, I think it's it's just going to take time, and and referees uh, are going to get used to to the types of decisions that uh, uh, incidents that are, are going to be uh, going to be flagged up, and and also it's even in a game, you know, they, they make decisions uh, very quickly, um, you know, of very sometimes of very little evidence. Uh, they can't, you know, don't have great views, and, and they make their decisions on their experience as well. But even now, it's strange for them. To go going over to the site of screen and it's it, it's all new to them. So it, it, even though they they used to work under pressure pressure situations, they've still got to run over there. It's still alien to them, and they've still got to make this rush decision and, and take everything in the, in a few seconds. I mean, it's supposed to take it can take up to three minutes, I think, for for debatable decisions. Mm. Average thirty to forty seconds. So I'm I'm not too concerned about uh, upsetting the ebb and flow mm. of games or. Um, becoming a hindrance, but it's just it just makes you, makes sure that they the more they do it, the the, the better they're going to get it, and the, the less of a hindrance in the game it's going to be. The, the last thing is that that uh, the referee still has the final decision, so there's potential for them to go over because they've been told to check something, see that they might have made a mistake, but stick with their decision. So I think we're all looking forward to Mike Dean doing that yeah. in in the coming months. <laughs> yeah, spending an extra long time with his head in that monitor <laughs> thing. Oh wow, I look great. Oh, what a straight arm that is, given that decision. Uh, let's move on to the next number number 84 and that's the number of chances created in the Premier League by Ross Barkley since the end of last season which is still more than any other Everton player at the moment uh, obviously he's transferred to Chelsea this week hasn't even played this year and is still on top in terms of the chances created since last season uh, of, of the, the squad seems like a bit of an odd one for Chelsea because I don't see that Position that sort of number ten attacking midfielder. I don't see that as the hole they need to fill necessarily, which makes you think because Ross Barkley's a big lad. Are they going to turn him into a striker? Maybe. No, I, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, I see him pure as, speculation for me. Yeah, though. it's quite hard to really know what Ross Barkley's true position is and and, and where he. Th- thinks he plays because his career has been so disrupted by injuries and because, um, you know, he has been tried out in, in different areas. Uh, how I see it happening is is him in the centre of midfield. Now, last season, it was a sort of 3-4-3, but this season, Conte's really preferred, and, and especially in big games and in Europe, a 3-5-2. Some Chelsea fans have been a, a bit upset about because it it's taken away one of those purely attacking players, normally Pedro or Willian, sacrificed for, for another central midfield player. And a lot of the frustration from fans has come from Bakayoko's performances as he grows into himself as a player, perhaps not being that that great. But for me, Barkley fits quite well in, into that midfield three. If you can have a, a an N'Golo Conte, um, a Cesc Fabregas and a, a Barkley, for me, you've, you've got most of your, your boxes tick there. You've got a ball winner, a, a passer, too... and someone who can drive through the middle. That's what Barkley offers. I think that people fetishise so much. Mm. Someone who, someone like Jack Wilshire as well, who can drive through the middle, get at teams through the centre, which is a, a great skill. And if he can get fit, I think I think it's a great signing. 50 million quid. Yeah. S- sounds ridiculous to say. It's, it's not that much these days. You have to think it's, it's only going to go up, isn't it? So even if they sell, it's probably a profit. But is that... You said there, um, uh, Fabregas, Barkley and Kante. Is that maybe putting too much the the stress on Kante to do the defending because I think it's a fairly well-known criticism of Fabregas that maybe he doesn't offer you enough going back and then Barkley probably also has been guilty of being mm. maybe a little mm. bit of a sort of luxury role at times. Yeah, I think it's fair. I do think that Kante 
can pretty much do all of the defensive work on his own and, and his performance levels are still incredibly high, although he's become less of a, a novelty, but he's still playing brilliantly. Uh, what I've seen is that when he does play with someone equally defensive-minded, his passing's not quite good enough to, to support a team that, that needs to be comfortable in possession, that needs to be circulating the ball around. So I, I actually think it, it's not going to be such a big problem, but I'd be interested to know what, what David thinks. No, but even if they, if they do play a 3-5-2, then it, it becomes less of a... Uh, Less of a need for for either Fabregas or or, or Bartley to to defend, uh, right? He's not he's not the great defensively. He's, he gets dispossessed of the ball quite a lot, so he probably needs to have somebody like Conte uh, working alongside him to to mop up some of those mistakes. I mean, for for them to buy him uh, for fifteen million, it's you know it's 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 like a, you know. You looked at a lovely pair of trainers last summer, and you thought you couldn't afford them. Then they were on a half price now, so you thought, "Well, well, I'm going to buy them anyway. I don't need them, but I'm going to buy them anyway." <laughs> Plus, he's English as well, so it helps with the quarters. And, and there's, there's this thing about uh, potential in players, and uh, he's 24 now, Barkley, and it, you get to a point where you, you you go away from that. You, you become uh, less of the. I mean, even like I know injuries played a part in Jack Wilshere as well, and we keep saying they've not fulfilled the potential that they had. It's about time they started doing that, and the only way to do that is by keeping fit. You worry about the type of injury that he's had. I mean, he's got a huge scar down the back of his hamstring, um, and it's always a delicate area to 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 look after. So, if he can keep fit, then he, he can be an asset. But I, I can't see him. In all honesty, I can't see him being a sort of like a fulcrum of that side or a, a mainstay. He, he's going to be taking on same role as, as kind of Williams taken taken on of late, where he's he's brilliant at what he does, and when he comes in, he, he, he when he's needed, he comes in and, and does well. And he's got to be make sure that he's ready to play that role. Where would you have focused on before Barkley for Chelsea? Because I think a lot of the a lot of the talk is up front, isn't it? Yeah, the the Maratta cover because Batshuayi. Sometimes looks good, but then in terms of coming off the bench, not so much. It's probably this time last year that Sorry, we... starting is... Is it starting is bad or... Starting is bad. Yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah, coming off the bench is all right. Yeah. Starting, rubbish. <laughs> well, that's it. It's probably this time last year when he started playing a few of the, cup, the FA Cup games and scoring a few goals for himself and managed to grab a couple of goal, um, important goals towards the end of the season as they, as they won the league. And you thought he turned the corner a little bit and uh, but Conte, he's, he's obviously not a... Uh, a huge fan of his, and uh, and it's it's true. It's, it's a club like Chelsea for the ambitions they've got and where they want to be. They're just far too lightweight up front, and they're reliant. You can see it weighs heavily sometimes on Morata. He's had a great start, but what, when when he has a game like he did there the other week, and he's missing chances, there's no way of relieving him of that really, um, w- without weakening the side. Is there? A case as well that Chelsea with their up front, their their striking options, they need a sort of plan B because Morata, he is brilliant with his feet before he shoots. You know his touching and his his, uh, his link up play, brilliant. Then he's maybe not been the best when it comes but, to finishing but, with his feet. But the, the, the ex, I mean the, the big game experience he's got is, is brilliant and he and he scores goals in those big games. But it, this is probably his first real season as a first choice number one striker. And uh, people have mentioned before that, um, that, that ch- you know, not taking those chances that he did the other, uh, who was it against? Arsenal. Arsenal, Arsenal yeah. So he doesn't he take those chances. 
And is it a, is it a case of fatigue setting in, and maybe not physically, but you know, but when there's a lot of pressure on you, and you you, you get. A, in, in the past, he's had time to recover in between big games, and you know he, he's he's been used sparingly, and, uh, and and probably now that he's uh, he's going to have that little dip which he's having now. Mm. Uh, Ali, what do you think about Chelsea being linked with Big AC, the big dog, Carol? I think that would be ridiculous. Um, Never for like thirty million, No, I don't see that really being a, a feasible option. Um, Chelsea's uh, recruitment in the last few years has been interesting. That Someone tweeted a list of their signings, the last sort of 30 signings, and 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 a lot of them, you know, it, it got retweeted a lot because it, it looks a bit rubbish, to be honest. A, a lot of the players, you know, that you forget quickly, like Baba Rahman and, and people like that, that just sort of fade Household from names. view. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. Um, but, but because they don't make as much revenue as, as Man United or, or Man City off the pitch because basically because of the size of the stadium and a couple of other factors um, they and because of FFP they, they, they aren't actually spending they're not rivaling clubs for the signings of, of Pogba or Coutinho or Neymar they, they, they can't do that they've taken a slightly different tax so um, that involves not buying the finished product world class players but trying to find the ones at the level below that they can develop and crucially for Chelsea, retaining some sort of sell-on value. That's where Andy Carroll, uh, amongst a number of other reasons, really <laughs> falls down because uh, he's not exactly an asset that's going to make you money in the future. Really? Oh, I thought <laughs> we were going to make profit on that £15 million for those four games a year. You get <laughs> Let's move on to the next number, which is £400 million, and that's the amount of euros that Philip Coutinho has as his release clause at Barcelona. Uh, obviously signed for them for €160 million Euros this week. Um, Coutinho very much in his prime, I think, and the best time for him to go. He spent five years at Liverpool, and I'm not sure fully how much... Uh, animosity they have towards him because he's been brilliant for the first six months well he was obviously injured for a little bit but for what he's played of him for them this season he has been brilliant and has very much earned his move but how good of a move is it for Barcelona Uh, Ali you're wearing a sort of (laughs) sort of Barcelona shirt (laughs) Barcelona or Palace shirt Yeah. Uh, how good do you think he'll be for them and where does he fit in that system because they've been waiting for him because obviously they've got Dembele as well, but mm. they've been waiting for Coutinho since they uh, got rid of Neymar. Well, they've they've basically been playing 4-4-2 this season, either with a sort of fairly packed central midfield diamond or with, you know, Iniesta coming in from, from the wing. Um, that's obviously Dembele's injuries affected how they play. With Dembele back and Coutinho, you know, these are... These are versatile modern attacking players and that gives you a lot of different options now um the team will always and and has to be based around leo messi so you know where they play will depend a lot on, on leo and where he wants them to play um but we've seen coutinho play as part of the front three at liverpool out on the left we've seen him play increasingly this season against teams defending uh, in a low block which is what barcelona come up against a lot um, as one of the midfield three uh, in in the 4-3-3 and um, and attacking from a bit deeper so um, he's clearly someone who gives them more options uh, he's a player as you say in his prime who, who's whose performance level when he's played this season has been very very good and yeah i think 
that, that there did seem to be a bit of panic, as there always is on Twitter. And, you know, you, you can get a bit distracted through Twitter because people are idiots. But um, there, there was, I think, a bit of panic. But generally, you're right. I don't think huge amount of animosity. And it doesn't leave them in as much trouble, Liverpool, I mean, as, as it did when Suarez left. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. David, obviously, I've got, I've got a couple of Liverpool supporting mates who have said things like, Cah! The fourth best team in the Premier League selling their third best player for 160 million. Oh, I'll take that any day. Is he their third best player or is he is he a class above Liverpool? Because obviously Salah has been brilliant this season particularly and Mane last season was sort of irreplaceable at times when he went away for African Cup of Nations. They, they struggled. Coutinho, they've played parts this season without him and, and seem to look okay. Yeah, they've managed without him. And I think that, like you said about last year, about, uh, about Marnie, and well, there's 10, 11 games went without a win last season. They, they haven't had uh, as much trouble this season um, without Coutinho. And yeah, any any squad and any side's going to be weakened by by his departure. But after after what happened in the summer and the, the saga, and, and it was always going to be difficult for them to, to keep hold of him. And... When it's when it happens once to a plane, you convince him to steer with a promise that he'd be allowed to move at a later date. It, it, unless it's set in stone that it'll be next season, it was it was always going to be different to keep him. And, and when they, when Barcelona came back in for him, there, there was no way they were going to keep all no way at all. And you, you can keep somebody happy for so long. And I think once once somebody's got their mind made up, great attitude. You've got to give him a, a, a lot of credit for for just getting on with things and lot letting his uh, his performance levels drop. But I think uh, from from my experience with players, you know, once they've made their mind up, and you've got to let them go. And it's the, the three they've got from him, it's it, it, it's great business all around. I think. In your playing days, did you ever have the situation where one of your teammates knew they were getting a move in six months' time or wanted a move? And then had to put it off, and then you had to play with them. Uh, what, what effect did that have on the team? Um, you can see in, in a lot of cases, it's it's all down to uh, each uh, individual's personality and, and, and character, and I think that's where managers earn their money because they've got to assess that and they've got to, to weigh up the, the the pros and the cons. I think um, it, it it would be easy for for players, especially if they if they're not the most popular. I get the impression that Coutinho was very popular. So even if his uh, performance levels did drop, or he, he maybe he didn't look like he was uh, he was uh, he was in the game, people wouldn't be pointing their fingers as much. And I think when sometimes you get unpopular, then it's easy for somebody to, if they have a bad game. It might just be having a bad game, but because of all the speculation and and everyone knows that they want to get away, then it's you know you can come back to the dressing room straight away and you can point the fingers and and, and there's, there's nothing you can do about it really because I mean it's it's okay when you you. Somebody comes in for you like that, and you know it's inevitable. Whether it happens at the start of January or the end of January, it's in, it's inevitable. But it's not a con- self. It's not a conscious thing. You, you know, you, you might give a hundred percent, but at the back of your mind, you, you know, you're not. There's something there that knows you're going. You're going away at a later date, so you're you're not fully committed, and you're not totally there and uh, as much as you are. So I, th- I think it's like I said, it's down to the manager to to, to assess what the situation is and. Uh, and, and whether it's going to work off the club or not, mm. but but I, I, it, from my experiences now, knowing what I know, as soon as a player either asks to leave or doesn't make it one hundred percent clear that he wants to steer, it's best just to set him free. Mm. Like serving your notice period in any job. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think, you know, we definitely 
as fans tend to treat footballers a bit differently to how we would treat anyone else in any other industry. And, you know, that that that's that's great. That's a big part of football. But, you know, you do need to you do sometimes need to just just calm down, take a step back and look at it rationally in, in a human sense. And we all have our ambitions, you know, uh, no matter where you are, if there's uh, something that you consider to be a better opportunity, uh, more money to work with better people then yeah. um then you you know you can't really begrudge him for taking it and, and not, a six month notice period is a long notice period <laughs> exactly as well. and not a lot of people you know they'll say oh well if i put myself in his position um i would uh i'd still play every game i mean look at sanchez now um even though the prospect of going to man city he'll still be playing tonight against uh against chelsea um and things, little, a couple of little things have soured it maybe it's the the fact that he's you know he he, he didn't make himself available uh, was he injured or not? No. Well, it doesn't look like that way now. Then there's the whole with the, uh, the, the the piece that did with the Daily Mail, uh, giving access to it. It, it. It's it it just sours things, and um, and I think that that's he's a, he's a favourite with all fans, and I don't, I don't think many up, up till the last few weeks would have begrudged them that move anyway. You mentioned Sanchez there, and a major positive for Liverpool because I I think Liverpool are a team on the rise. I think compared to anyone else apart from maybe Man City that they're that they're looking, you know, mostly together and, and very much on the up. And when, you know, when you talk about Sanchez and we touched on Wenger earlier, um, Arsenal look like they might be losing their best player, Alexis Sanchez, for about 30, 40 million um, euros or pounds or whatever it is. Uh, Ozil might be going for free, arguably their second best player. And you've got Liverpool selling their first, second, third best player for 130 million pounds. So at the very least, you know, you can be more confident than Arsenal fans that the people running your club um, in a business sense are, are doing the right thing. And, and you know, success on the pitch is certainly aided by that. Well, yeah, I, I think Arsenal Wenger's become soft in his old age. I think that the, the fact that Arsenal were never a club that's... They're in a great position where they, they can afford to do it and they can afford to lose the money, but... It, it, the money that they could get uh, last summer for for the pair, he, he would have thought he would ju- would have just backed himself to be able to invest that. And maybe it's maybe it's, maybe I've just corrected myself there by saying he, he's not soft. Maybe he's, he's just does not trust his his own uh, his own ability anymore to to be able to replace some players because for so many for so many years, I mean, he, he wasn't scared of the likes of Vieira and, and people like that. He wasn't scared of just thinking, oh, well, you just can go, I'll replace you with somebody better or, or maybe it's not better, but I'll, I'll replace you, no problem. And now, uh, you, you see, with he's hung on a pair of motorcycle, uh, which is, which are, uh, well, it must be a great great uh, person to have around the squad, great experience and, and, and great having the dressing room, but... The fact that he's having to rely on him and 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 he just can't anymore. So, like I said, maybe he just doesn't doesn't trust himself now. All right, let's look forward to this weekend's Premier League action. Uh, I sound like uh, some geezer on the TV. This weekend's Premier League action. One day. Uh, and the number 114, which is the number of league goals scored between Manchester City and Liverpool combined. Man City with 64 and Liverpool 50. Obviously, we've just been speaking about Liverpool and that attack. Uh, so they're facing each other. Is it going to be a goal fest or is it going to be one of these situations where we build it up? We say, it's going to be six all and then it's nil nil. Oh, I think I think it'll be a good game. I don't think it's going to be one of those games that we see every now and again generally involving a, a, a Jose Mourinho side um, Liverpool are a bit more adaptable than they used to be and, and they can sit back a little bit it's not just this crazy 
rock and roll high press all the time now that they've they've found a way to play on the counter and, and use the pace of Mane and Salah. And that's what you'd expect them to do here. Are they good enough to keep Man City at bay? Are they good enough at defending in a low block? Uh, possibly not. And I think Man City will will score goals. So then it's up to the individual class, really, uh, and, and the, the counter-attacking of Liverpool. But for me, this is the the game between the first and the second best teams in the league. I know that between Man U, Chelsea and and Liverpool, points-wise, it's all pretty pretty equal at the moment. But, um, you know, Liverpool, a relatively slow start, but they're 17 unbeaten in all, comp- in all competitions. They haven't lost since mid-October. Um, they've not been doing that thing that, that we expect them to do where they they drop points against teams that they shouldn't do. I think they've lost they've lost twice Man City and Spurs. So they're they're putting away the bad teams, which they didn't used to do. Um, and I think, as I said, compared to Man U and to Chelsea, I think they're they're a I think they're a better team. And I prefer watching them to both of those teams as well. I think it's pretty. I've got here on my magical piece of paper that obviously <laughs> I pretend is all my brain, but is actually a piece of paper. Uh, pretty impressive Liverpool with the, with the fifty goals this season because. Other than Man City, who are on 64, the only other side to score 50-plus goals in the league this season in Europe is PSG, who, I mean, whenever I look, seem to be winning 6-1 against some part of France that I've not heard of. But uh, that is that is an awful lot of goals. So if this isn't 6-all, like I said, I am going to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Um, caveat to that is obviously that uh, 22 games have been played in the Premier League. I think in La Liga it's only 18, so um, I'm sure... After 22 games, Barcelona will be around that sort of mark. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're elite numbers. They're around the top of the European um, of the European leagues, and at home they've only conceded four goals. So you know, we talk about their attack all the time, but but their defensive record at home is is fantastic, and you know they'll need to to lean on that this weekend. If you look at Liverpool as well, you know, what's their strength? Is, is it just breaking on side, sides at lightning speed? Uh, but if if they get that, it's it's whether they get the chance to do that or not against Man City because they, notoriously uh, if anybody tries to break on them they, they just break it up with their tactical fouls and and if they can I think if one advantage they can they can get in uh, in this game uh, it might be through yellow cards and red cards you know if, if they if they are going to uh, counter attack a lot and, and and use that pace it's the only way it's going to be stopped Do you think Guardiola is going to be looking at Virgil, uh, Virgil van Dijk with envy shaking his fist at what could have been Oh, perhaps, but I think if uh, if if he really wanted them, I think he probably would have gotten them. I mean, I know Jurgen Klopp might be a, a big draw for for Van Dijk, and that and that's, might be the sounds that he he makes, and because well, he, he's ended up there. But like I said, if financially he could have blown Liverpool out the water if he wanted to, he's got a lot to prove, Van Dijk, because when you go through a transfer saga like that, and when you're clearly um, the one that everyone wants you become almost this sort of mythical figure you know the best player in the world the best defender in the world and um, he, he's you know he's had a great start and he's clearly a brilliant player but he hasn't played a huge amount of football this season so he certainly has plenty to prove as well and judging by that goal on Friday he could be the replacement for Coutinho they never knew they had <laughs> uh, let's move on so I'm embarrassed to ask I'm embarrassed to ask alright then lads the FA have come out and said that they're going to apply to the Rooney rule when they uh, look for the next England manager. Now, at risk of sounding like every football Twitter account, I'm assuming the Rooney rule isn't just someone who's going to underwhelm in a World Cup uh, because, you know, that's what we've been doing for years. David, what on earth is the Rooney rule? Well, the Rooney rule, uh, I think it was brought in in... uh 
in American football in the NFL in 2003 to, to give great opportunities to uh, uh, coaches, uh, black and ethnic minority. Um, it's it's worked. Um, and I think that's that, that's the greatest thing uh, that's uh, the, the argument of, of not having uh, many black managers or certainly not the equivalent of, uh, you know, in a, the equivalent of sort of an equation with the with the amount of black and ethnic minority footballers that are that are playing the Premier League now. I think it's, it's up to thirty three percent now in the Premier League. Um, yet uh, across the leagues now, it's probably, I think it's three managers yeah. in the whole of the, the Premier League football league. I've got some numbers t- to help you out there. So this is uh, from an article on the Independent. Um, the reality in twenty eighteen is this: of the four hundred and eighty two leading coaching roles across clubs in England's top four divisions, only twenty two belong to coaches of BAME backgrounds. So, uh, and, and only four of them managers across the whole of the football league. So, as David says, it's undeniable that that people from BAME backgrounds have been misrepresented throughout the history of, of football when it comes to to post-playing career um, and, and this is a way of, of redressing that balance which which needs to happen. It's, it's a small step because this isn't saying these managers are going to be given jobs, they're not going to be given um, roles or coaching roles, managerial roles, not by any means. This just means that um, more so than ever before um, there will be um, opportunities which, which quite frankly haven't existed and you know... <sighs> Among the many arguments against it, most of which I, I don't agree with, um, one seems to be that well, um, if they were good enough, then they would have, then they, you know, then people wouldn't, um, you know, then th- surely that, that they wouldn't be discriminated against. And it doesn't need to necessarily be a conscious thing. I think um, it's it's part of the culture um, over the over the course of of, of footballing history, um, and and one of the problems is that when a group of people don't feel like they're going to get the opportunities, perhaps they're less inclined. To, to, to spend their time doing coaching courses, to spend their time doing the badges um, when they don't feel like the end result will be as favourable as someone else, um, non-BAME background. And um, as I said, it, it's it's not a big thing, this. It's a sm- it's an important step, I should say, but this is not going to, you know, this isn't positive discrimination. This isn't um, anything bad. This is a yeah. good step for English football and, it, and it's and it's needed. Like if, if I was going to play devil's advocate, Pete... The easily outraged among the Twitter sphere would say, oh, what, does this mean Chris Hewton's getting an interview for the England job? But, I mean, that means nothing. It just means he's getting an interview. So it's not... Yeah. It seems to me like it's, like you say, just an, an encouraging small thing rather than any sort of big mm. statement. Yeah, but, I mean, what, what it does, mm. we talk about opportunity... Chris Hewton might uh, might be interviewed for the, yeah, yeah. For the England job. Very good job. He, he, he might get interviewed... And he might do a damn good interview and he might put across ideas and perspectives that the people conducting interviews have never taken into consideration or or, 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 or just a chance for him to, 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 to sway them uh, in his direction. And, and so that opportunity can turn into a job and that's, that's the most important thing. But I don't think we should just be focusing on the England manager role here. Um, the Rooney Rule's been used in the EFL since the start of last year, I think. Um, this is across, again, not just managerial positions. That's sort of the headline, isn't it? Because it, it looks good. It leaps off the page. But this is across the FA in all roles, in all coaching roles, all managerial roles within the FA, women's game, men's game, disability teams. Um, this is across the FA. And I think the idea is that it'll slowly be rolled out across the Premier League as well eventually. 
I mean, it's, it's quite damning, really, that we can uh, we can probably, but not even between between the three of us, we can we can probably name the managers and the prominent coaches uh, in the in the division, in, in sort of in all the leagues. You look at people like Darren Moat, West Brom, and Jason Newell, uh, Charlton, Keith Curl at it's uh, it's Carlisle. You know, it's yeah, out of the very few. Um, coaches and managers of BAME backgrounds QPR definitely sort of leading the way it seems they've got Les Ferdinand's their sporting director and it's clearly something that they've um, taken upon themselves and they're a sort of leading light for this so you know big big props I suppose to QPR and hopefully many clubs will sort of follow their lead Yeah I mean that's been anecdotal sort of yeah, sort of stories about um, you know Clog McLeary came out and said that um that he he hadn't found that uh, a, a lot of uh, his fellow black players had, had wanted to go into coaching. Um, I certainly know that when uh, started to hit my coaching badges, I think the, uh, I can think of out of fifty names, there was probably two um, black players who were who were on the, those coaching courses. But is that because they think it's it, it's not a, uh, you know the they won't have the opportunities, so it, it deters them. So if if this makes sure that there's there's more applicants to to coaching uh, courses and therefore more in, in, into the jobs and into football itself, then it, it, it's positive. And, and I, th- I know that it, it's it's not something that's just been ruled out now as well. I know across a lot of the uh, a lot of championship clubs, and I'm at Barnsley, uh, they had a policy the same that uh, every, every job that was interviewed there, it's uh, their academy. Uh, had to include uh, somebody from a black, black, I think, minority uh, background. So it was. It's not just something that they've that they've decided to do now. Clubs have been introduced themselves as well. Mm. And how long do you think it's going to be until it would be in the Premier League? Because it seems mad that it would be at the FA, you know, the, the national team, which I guess you put at the highest level. It's the EFL, which is every level underneath, and then Premier League haven't followed suit. Oh, I mean, they've got to. It's only a matter of time, really. I mean, it, they shouldn't have to be pressured into it just because everyone else is doing it. It should be something that they're at the forefront of and they, they, they shouldn't have waited until now. But like I said about, uh, you know, we talked about opportunities before, about uh, about getting that chance of uh, of being uh, interviewed for jobs. It's a fact that if, 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 uh, if people don't think they get the opportunities... And but then they then they are given it, and the more uh, interviews that they're given, the it's an art in itself. You see so many managers now um, that maybe aren't don't have a lot of substance to to what they do, but they get jobs off because they're very impressive in uh, in interviews. And I think it's it's like any walk of life and in, in, in any job, the more you know you. you the more interviews you do, the better you get at it. You know what the other, the, the people are looking for, and and you become better at it. So that that's a, a huge positive in this. And and also just on the Premier League, um, I think it's expected that they will um, adopt this. But it, it should be said that uh, also from this article that I read that they are um, playing a, a, a part outside of of just this thing. They've they've been funding apprenticeships for for up and coming BAME coaches uh, in recent times as well. So it's not like they're ignoring this completely, but certainly could be doing more. All right, then let's move on to the next section. Who's this fella? Who's this fella? Right then, lads. I think Robbie Savage, who was on commentary for the uh, Nottingham Forest Arsenal game, might have fallen in love this weekend because there was an 18-year-old lad up front who was bullying the Arsenal defenders. Ben Brereton. And we talked a little bit about Nottingham Forest earlier and their young players, but he 
was the man of the match and looked like something special. Now, he's been around a few teams, hasn't he? Or maybe did he leave an academy when he was 16 and got picked up by... Forest? Yeah, so so I'm I'm gonna be a bit of a, a bit of an EFL bore, a, a bit nerd. of a, a bit of an EFL nerd. nerd, a bit of a hipster, however you want to <laughs> say. But uh, Robbie Savage is gonna have to join a, a queue of which I think I might be very near the front, to be honest. I um, mean, burst onto the scene last season. Uh, he was he was released by Stoke, age 16, um, as you said, uh, <laughs> and um, Nottingham Forest picked him up. And uh, and um, uh, <laughs> not to sort of name drop or whatever but I, I went and interviewed him um, uh, at the end of last season he was the championship apprentice of the year um, and I helped to make the videos for the EFL awards uh, and I went and did an interview with him um, so I've, 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 I know a lot about Ben Brereton he scored the winner against Aston Villa um, live on Sky it was his first professional goal in one of his first appearances uh, and since then they couldn't ignore him they kept giving him chances and he kept playing well now this season he's become a first team player um at the age of of 18 um he's he is a striker uh, and a goal scorer and someone that can just terrorize center backs if they don't have pace as we saw on the weekend with Mertesacker and Holding um has been shifted out wide a bit um which often happens with young players who, who maybe don't have the discipline to to play a whole game through the middle but you know he's he's already got physical attributes that put him towards the top end of the game. Uh, his finishing is good. His instinct is good. He makes the right runs. Um, he's been scoring goals for the, the England youth teams. And he's just a, um, a, a really exciting player. And, and, you know, it's easy to, to look back and say to Stoke, well, what the hell were you doing? Mm. But from what I believe, he, he really has come on just unbelievably in the last sort of 18 months. And, and credit to Gary Brazil, uh, who's the academy manager, at Nottingham Forest and Nottingham Forest for for what they've done with him, but yeah, really exciting prospect. Brilliant penalty as well, and he scored it with one foot. Who was it? Was the the two foot penalty? Was that Kieran Dowell? Dowell, he was yeah. Dowell yeah. On loan from Everton, yeah, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. What, what you're seeing with the likes of these two players we mentioned, Kieran Dowell and and Burton, is the fact that they aren't your typical academy under eighteen, under twenty three players. And so what you're seeing now, players who who aren't in that mould, who do the the old fashioned things well, that the you know you look at Brayton, he uses body so well. He's not. I mean, you you look at him for an 18 year old. Yeah, he, he is. He's he's um, he's well developed. He he, he looks. He, he put him next to an average 18 year old, and he, he will look stronger. He probably is a little bit quicker. But nothing is exceptional in in his physical attributes, but it's it's his willingness and and uh, his desire to he's, he's, he wants to make forward runs. He wants to take people on. He wants to. It's a term that's I don't like using the word bully because it, it has such a negative sort of uh, connotation. But he, he does that with defenders. He's he physical. He's he, What he has, he uses very well, and he uses it very cleverly as well. So if he gets six inches uh, a foot in front of somebody, he just leans across them, and then it takes them out of the equation, and he's not having a battle with them. And then they've got to watch themselves, because if they get too too tight with them, then they'll bring him down. Mm. And um, and same with Dowell as well. Like, you know, he... he does a lot of the. Uh, he works high, breaks up play. He's still a good footballer, but he does the, the two of them do the, the the side of the game that's not typical of the of, a, of the way the academy footballers have, uh, are produced these days. Mm. And there was a documentary in the week. Was it No No Hunger in Paradise? I think that was doing a lot of um, obviously talks about the the youth academies and the chances players get. And 
are they in the best place for them in the championship at that age, getting games? Because obviously that was a high-profile game and mm-hmm. they scored against Arsenal and probably heaped value onto themselves, which, you know, what would it be in January? It wouldn't be out of, you know, it wouldn't be completely abnormal to see a club put in, a Premier League club put in a bid for him now. Mm. Are they better off just staying there, racking up minutes for another year and a half? Or when when you see that potential, should they take a jump to the Premier League? Well, Priestley might be better place to, to comment on it because he's been part of clubs and he's probably seen um, at a couple of different levels how academy players develop and, and what's best for them. But, uh, you know, as someone that follows the Football League, there are, there are multiple examples of players getting minutes in the Football League that they wouldn't get in the Premier League and naturally developing a little bit quicker. Um, it's tough because then you say, well, they deserve their chance in the Premier League. If you go too early, though, aged 18, 17, 18, 19, quite often you, you then suffer from those same lost years, you know, between 18 and, and 21, 22, um, that you see in Premier League a- Academy players. So uh, it's a really, really tough one. You can't just say to someone, stay at a lower level for three years just to play because it seems counterintuitive. Yeah. But, of course, it's easy to say, you know, that, that does help them develop as a player. But there's a lot of other things at play, isn't there? It's not just... You know, that's not the only thing that you've got to think about. Yeah. It, well, if you, if you plan your career correctly and, and everything goes to plan, and maybe you, the best way of doing it would probably be to start off at a, at a, a bigger club so you have the best education. And that, that's the most important thing is, is to have a, a good football and education. So you see a lot of players, I don't know, some like um, a lot of players that that's leave Manchester United at a young age, there's somebody like Danny Drinkwater. So you, you go there, you get your education, then you go down to the championship, you play your games there, and then and then you use that as a springboard to get back again. Now, of course, it, it doesn't it's it doesn't happen all the time. It, things don't go to plan like that. But ideally, that's what you want to do because I know that um, I always equate it to your driving test and, and learn to drive. That you you don't really learn how to drive. Maybe I'm phrasing this wrong, but you learn more after you've passed your test and you're in the car by yourself and gain more experience. So that that's that, that's you going to a club and playing a lot of games. And the the earlier you can do that, the better, because the more you get stuck in this uh, this system of of playing nice football and you're unchallenged um, mentally as much as anything. Um, then you're going to regress, and the people who are playing the games are going to are going to just bypass you. I mean, you see now that there's a hell of a lot of players now coming from conference clubs who have been released as kids between 16 and 18, going to conference clubs, going to League Two clubs, playing a lot of games and then coming back again. And they're bypassing all these players who have stayed at clubs five, six years and still in the under-23 sides because they're gaining that experience. It's it's, it's crucial to, to your development and you don't want to stagnate too long. And it's great that Forrest are doing this and they're sticking the kids in there as early as they are. I don't want to dwell it too long because we're running quite long. But is there is there a case? I mean, Chelsea are a bit of a strange situation because basically won't give youth a chance, and I think that's fairly well. Uh, it's a Accepted. universally held yeah, opinion. Yeah. yeah. Is there a case that if if a player is going to be high class Premier League quality, and this is something that they were saying in the, uh, the documentary the other night, you have to be good enough to get in the, the first team of the top eight teams in the Premier League, otherwise you're not going to play regularly in the Premier League. 
Well, yeah, I mean, there's so I many. Know, I know that kind of sounds that sounds stupid, but I mean, like for for West Ham, say who are fifteenth, if a youth player was to get in and play regularly in that West Ham team, he would have to be of the quality to be getting in a top six team mm. every week. To mm. otherwise, every mistake is scrutinised tenfold. Well, yeah, and and so many parts of this, but another big part, obviously, is is uh, the sacking culture with managers these days. Your job security relies on you getting results in the here and now. And and apart from the incredibly few clubs that appear to to, to be developing a system that 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 thinks long term, that that tries to develop players because they recognise that that's a good way of of um, sort of uh, adding to the squad and helping the team, and therefore give managers a, a little bit more leash, maybe even make it part of their job remit to to play some younger players. Other than those clubs, the reality is in the Premier League, you lose your job within you know a click of your fingers, and you know you you, you probably go to sleep at night thinking I might give that that kid a chance in that game because he looks like a talent. I'd like to help him develop. By the time you wake up in the morning in a cold sweat, you realise that you know you, you, you don't know you can trust him, uh, and that's where another part of the problem lies. Only the, the the top managers um, who can have a certain amount of security. You know, you look at Klopp. Klopp was never going to be, um, uh, no matter how things went in the beginning. Klopp was never going to be in danger of losing his job. So it was always you know, he did some great PR when he first went to the club. I think the first morning he took over, he was at an under 18s or under twenty three uh, game watching them, and. and it's great for clubs that's that manage to take that involvement from uh, from the very base all the way up. But I think it's it's like I just said, so difficult for them to to be able to think beyond sort of uh, a month or two in advance, really, because they they have to make sure that first and foremost they stay in the job. And then if they if they get the chance to to develop players and be there long enough to develop players. But I mean, even I mean, look at Mark Hughes. He's been there. Was it there four and a half years? I mean, that's an eternity, really. Mm. Especially for um, a sort of club that's that's not quite sort of uh, not successful. Clubs get at a certain stage and uh, a certain level and plateau, and people want change, and so it, there's always a big roundabout. But I think that um, with younger players, it's very rare that they're given the chance as well either. So someone like Jesse Lingard. No, he he probably is a a player that's at many clubs. They would probably say, well, you know, he, he's not a regular, so it's probably time he moved on, and he'd be advised to move on. When he, he you've got to give him credit because he stuck at it as well. All right, it's 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 very difficult to leave a a club like Manchester United. There's a lot of players who you know who find find it difficult, especially when they move. And if you're the biggest club in the world, why would you want to move? Yeah, and you're still getting game time. But I mean, it was he 24 now. Uh, and and it, it, the, all the work that's been put into him uh, is is coming to fruition now. But it's it, it, club. Some clubs, uh, most clubs, don't have that the luxury of being able to have that time to, to develop players. Okay, let's move on to the final section of today's podcast, and that is stats showdown. Stats showdown. Okay, I can see you both itching with your fingers on the stat trigger. Ali eager to avenge. Uh, Stat showdown loss in your last appearance. I'll come to you first. The best two out of three with a couple of impressed me stats that I can go up to someone at the bar and say, you heard this? <laughs> it's going to blow your mind. Yeah, uh, so 
generally in the in the Premier League this season, teams who have sat their managers have done pretty well. Um, Leicester, Palace, West Ham, Everton, all have improved since uh, uh, getting a new man in. Um, Alan Pardew arrived at West Brom saying that he was going to free up West Brom, West Brom, West Brom, by adding flair and excitement. Since he took charge, eight games, four goals in eight games. They've not been freed up. One of them was that penalty against Arsenal. That's a lower rate than how they were scoring under Tony Pulis. Pardiola. Pardiola the fraud. Maybe that's his problem. Maybe it's because he's, he's, uh, he's, had a, he's had more of an effect on West Blom than he did on West Brom. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's his problem. <laughs> well, I've got one. I was at the, uh, I was at the Spurs uh, Wimbledon game at the weekend and uh, even with the aid of a, a slight deflection, Jan Vertonghen scored a goal. Now, I've always had Jan Vertonghen down as a... As a Buccaneering centre-back. Yeah, someone who would always get you a goal. Now, he scored for the first time in 1,536 days. Is that five, that five years, isn't it? Four, five Three. years? Three and a half years, I reckon. I can't count, can I? <laughs> not Which, I, I mean, I'm quite glad about because I'm not a big fan of his Superman celebration. <laughs> Gets my nerves a little bit. That it was one. a screamer as well, wasn't it? Didn't he? Yeah, but it, it took def- it just took a deflection off on the defender's hands. It just lifted it in the top corner, made it look a bit more impressive, I think. But it was a, it was a hell of a strike, yeah. Doesn't he gets like three assists, four assists a year as well, doesn't but he? Actually, his last goal was October 2013. Oof. Against Sheriff Tiraspol. Don't ask me where oh that God. is. Yes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you've shocked me, David. I'm going to give you the. Uh, I'm going to give you the first one there. I, I just assumed he was a, a swashbuckling, goal-scoring, assist-getting centre back. Mm. I was wrong. Ali, you're one 0 down. David, you can go two 0 up and kill him dead before he's even had a chance to reply. Well, I'm going to go the, the the stat I'm going to go for and the number I'm going for is three. Oh. I, now I'll give you a guess. What 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 could this be? Three. Mm, points that Swansea are going to get in the rest of the season? No. It uh, is the number of operations that uh, Antonio Conte has had on his hair transplants. <laughs> <laughs> it's topical, you know. It, it, Jose Marino's had a bit of a gorgeous hair in the past as well, so... Uh, I, don't, I don't want to get a tweet from Antonio Conte saying David Priest is a little man now. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't he have got like a slightly cooler style? <laughs> yeah. I mean, thinning. <laughs> if they can do anything, which clearly they can, it's very impressive. But like, couldn't he have? Did he have a pick of any hairstyle and went for that? Well, it was either that or Wayne Rooney. So I know which one <laughs> yeah. I go for. That's a fair point. Or David Silver's, which appears to just have a line going across it. Yeah, remarkable. Mm. Um, mine is uh, uh, um, kicking Arsenal while they're down. Just, People have been doing it for ten years. And also a little nod to to Priestley's former career. Arsenal have conceded each of their last 23 penalties faced in the Premier League, stretching back to August 2013. When your team gives away a penalty and you're like, ah, oh, and then it's saved. Only, second only to a goal, right? Yeah. They haven't felt that feeling. For 23 penalties, Pedacek rooted. And that's going spot. back four years as well. Mm. I'm going to do my, my uh, countdown thing here, you know, on countdown where they, they show that they've got the same words and then they've yeah. got to prove to each other. <laughs> Yeah, I thought you might. Stole, to be honest, stolen my stuff. I thought you might. We're just we're both very good at researching. We know the right places to look. <laughs> Are you frantically finding a third one now? I'm, I'm going to have to now. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I played that one because I thought Priestley might have it. You so played I've that one because you're a plagiarist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Okay, just just because you you stunned David and his stunned David where he is, where he stands, whatever I'm trying to say. Ali, you're leveling that one up. Thanks, and man. I mean, head hairdos. As much as I enjoyed it, <laughs> not strictly speaking, well, it, was, it was either that or I, I was I was trying to guess uh, how many how many players and managers had hair transplants in the Premier League. And, I, and I, oh. I'd, I'd got Rooney, Klopp, Conte, Fabregas, and Ericsson. Billich, yeah, well, he's, he's not actually. He's oh not yeah, at the moment. Of course, yeah, yeah. I would have put Billich in. So if there's any, <laughs> if anybody does know anybody's had a hair transplant, and if anybody's got a number for any uh, surgeons, <laughs> I'd be quite happy. With this. <laughs> all right, Ali, now's your chance. It's all even. Are you going to score the winner, the late winner, with your hand like Glenn Murray, with no VAR to refer to? It's it's astonishing the amount of times that the stats showdown is one all going into the last stat. Isn't it's it? almost like. It's, it's a, an unwritten it's a, narrative. It's a very competitive <laughs> competition. I think that's fair to say, and it says a lot about the quality of guests. Um, here's mine, uh, and it's uh, related to the weekend's fixtures, which is very important. Um, what's the Spanish? Any of you speak Spanish? What's the Spanish for bogey team? Donde? Barcelona oh. and Real Sociedad. Barcelona haven't won against Real Sociedad in the league. Since 2007, that's 10 years without a win at Anoeta. How many times have they beaten Real Madrid at the Bernabeu in the league in the same period? Seven. Since beating Real Sociedad away, they've beaten Real Madrid away seven times. Truly, El Equipo del Bogey. <laughs> so you knew what it was? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Just seeing if you did. You spun us a yarn. <laughs> All right. David, have you, what's your El Stato del Bogey? <laughs> well, we were talking about um, sort of youth development earlier on, and over the across the six youth uh, youth size from uh, England's under 16s up to 21s, there's been a, a rundown of all the uh, you know a breakdown. Sorry, of, of uh, which, how many cl- uh, players come from each club. So, top of this. Uh, of the list is uh, Chelsea with 20 players. Uh, Manchester City had 18 players involved in all the England sides this summer. Arsenal 16, Tottenham 11. Can you tell me with... Uh, oh, sorry, Everton uh, 7. And outside that, can you tell me who has had the most players involved? Hmm. I'm just going to pull someone completely random out of the bag, see? <sighs> What about, let's go for QPR. <laughs> I'm going to guess Fulham. It's actually Nottingham Forest. Ah. With six, which is three more than Manchester United had. Really? Across the six sides from under 16 to under 21. United only had three? Only had three in all. Oof. Hmm. Ali's... It's not bad for it's not, it wasn't bad for just pulling one out of the hat. No, 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 no. Yeah, pretty good that. Ali, you're sweating. I can see it from here. Who am I gonna who am I gonna hand the L to? Oh, Ali looks so downbeat. I have got too much I'm too kind of person. Don't pity but... him. <laughs> In a way, it's almost worse if you've got a pity. In fact, no, forget it. You don't get the pity win. David, you win. David too win. <laughs> No. Losing streak of two in a row for Ali. David, if people want to find you on the internet, where can they get you? They can get me at, at David Priest 12 And Ali, yourself? Yeah, I'm at the Makalele roll. 
And you can find me at Rob Armstrong underscore WH. And of course, you can find this podcast on Deezer, where you can also find lots more great podcasts, live Premier League commentary and football playlists. Download the Deezer app or go to www.deezer.com, the website. Remember those, Ali? Remember websites? And you'll see us there on the website or the app next week on Defending in Numbers. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers. 